rounding up three and a half finals. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 392 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this weekend I'm joined by English Dan. Hello. Santi. Hi there. And Tony. Hello. Um, we don't have very much to talk about this week. Hopefully it's going to be a fairly succinct episode, not least because Dan is on a roughly one hour break from his work. So we want to get everything wrapped up as quickly as possible. But we did, before we take a couple of weeks break, want to fill you in on the conclusion of various Copas. The Copa Diego Armando Maradona, uh, the, well, not the Copa, but the, the league, which had the format of pretty much the Copa Diego Armando Maradona uh, for the women's championship and the Copa Sudamericana, which finished just a few minutes ago. So the pertinent results in those competitions um, I've already forgotten the actual scorelines from uh, <laughs> from last weekend, I'm afraid. Oh, I thought uh, you meant the Sudamericana. That would be very No, no, terrible. I can remember that one. Uh, the one that's just finished <laughs> in the Sudamericana. Yeah, um, if you uh, need any help. Defense, yeah, if you can look up the two Copa Maradona ones, Santi. And the Sudamericana has just yeah. finished defensive. Bo- Go on. Yeah, Boca Banfield was a 1-1 draw that got uh, decided on penalties. I oh, think that's Boca right, yeah. Five the other one was, was it 2-1 to Belles against Central? No, 3-1. 3-1. Yeah, there was a late goal, wasn't there? Uh, the Sudamericana that has just finished, finished Defensa y Justicia 3, Lanús 0. Uh, so Hernán Crespo has claimed his first trophy as manager and Defensa y Justicia have claimed their first top-level trophy ever, I think. Um, and right. in the final of the Women's Championship, Boca Juniors eviscerated River Plate 7-0 in Vélez's stadium. Um, we are going to talk, first of all, about the two matches from last weekend, but we are going to talk about them in the opposite order to the order they were played in, uh, because it seems a bit weird to lead off with the less meaningful game. So, Boca versus Central, gents. Um, it wasn't the most fireworky of uh, uh, title deciders, was it? Well, I think... Um... I think it would be fair to say that um, the the team that got the least uh, to play for actually won, in the sense that uh, Boca only needed the win to just um, get up from the uh, yeah let's be frank the humiliation in the Copa Libertadores semi final, and uh, let's not just say that they didn't come exactly unscathed from this game either because um, they weren't exactly inspired they they did. They go ahead with a with a brilliant and uh, well out of context uh, Edwin Cardona scorcher, but uh, then well Boca did Boca things and uh, they shot themselves in the foot time and time again. Mast got sent off for a ridiculous second yellow. Then they scored the most 
ridiculous of goals uh, from a from a very very tame header, and then they just scrape to win it on penalties. And uh, yeah, even if Banfield do not did not exactly earn their qualification to the Copa Libertadores, they come out from this defeat with their heads heads held very very high. And I'm not exactly sure Boca can say the same. Yeah, one of my favourite phrases that I've mentioned on this podcast before um, in Argentine football is a goal from a different match. Um, and that Cardona strike certainly fit that. It was far too good for the game that is illuminated, um, as Santi says. Um, overall, you know, we, we we all, Santi, you weren't here at last week's recording, but the four of us who were all went for slightly different predictions. Um, I went for Banfield to win uh Two of you went for penalties with different winners and Dan went for Boca to win um, in normal time, if I remember rightly. Um, but, you know, it was it was a fairly close stuff. But overall, I think that the title, you know, is fair enough. Boca came through a very tough group with both Argentinos and River um, in the, let's call it the semi-final group, you know what I mean? Um, whereas Banfield had a perhaps a slightly easier run of it, but were in you know, overall better form, perhaps going into it. Um, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think um, overall, Boca, as they usually do in in these tournaments, I know it's not a league tournament, but it was sort of like a league. Uh, they just seem to have a bit more staying power than everyone else. They get they grind out the results. They're always there or thereabouts when when it all finishes and. And you wondered, you know, um, after Luciano Lolo scored deep, deep, deep into injury time, a heroic equaliser right in the death, was that, you know, going to be, um, be a blow to Boca's already fragile confidence after after their Copa Libertadores disaster? Is that just going to mean, you know, in, in the penalty shootout, they're going to completely lose their heads and start pinging them all around, um, all around the San Juan Bicentenario? Uh, but no, they came back. They uh, came up with five fantastic penalties and slotted every single one away. Uh, Banfield erred once through Jorge Rodriguez, um, and yeah, it's just it was just Boca basically. Like they did just enough to to take the title, and that seems to be a trend of these Boca teams in domestic competition over over at least the last five years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, I don't think you can argue, um, you know, it would have been nice to see another team, another team win just to, to freshen things up a bit. Uh, but, you know, Copa Diego Armando Maradona and if Argentinos can't win it, if Gimnasia aren't going to win it, it seems just about right that, that Boca wins it, right? Yeah, they want the Boca away too. Indeed. Absolutely. In terms of qualification for the Libertadores, of course, Boca were already qualified for this year's Libertadores because they won the most recent league title, which finished nearly a year ago. Um, So does this mean that Banfield take that spot anyway? It doesn't, does it? Nope. Um, As far as I'm aware, I think that um, before this game... to the league uh, table. 
Sorry if I can interrupt. I have the entire list of continental qualification here updated to after this Defensa Judicia win, which also changed some things. So if you want to hear it. Let's let's go for it done. So this is taking into account Defensa Judicia winning the Sudamericana just now. Yes. And what I can say to give a little bit of a hint is that the big winners, as well as Defensa Judicia, are San Lorenzo because in the 2021 Copa Libertadores, uh, Argentina will have seven representatives, which are thus Boca, River, Racing, Argentinos, Vélez, Defensa y Justicia, and San Lorenzo. And in the Suramericana 2021, they will have six representatives, who are Nules, Talleres, Rosario Central, Arsenal, Independiente, and Lanús. So Banfield have nothing. Well, they, they can right. still qualify for, for the next year's so Sudamericana. Yes. If they do Vélez. Oh, they, next, yes. Next year, <laughs> next year has been the operative thing, so they wouldn't be in the list that Dan just read out yeah. anyway. But it is, uh, Santi's nicely segued in there to the fact that on Wednesday coming up, we are going to have a playoff between Vélez, who, as we've just said, beat Rosario Central in um, the, uh, the participation round final. Final in inverted commas, hence why I said at the beginning of the episode that we had three and a half finals to talk about. Um, and they will play Banfield as losers of the actual final. And uh, it will be one of those two teams who go into the 2022 Sudamericana. Um, the match itself was, I, I was trying to look it up on my app so that I could jog my memory. And my app isn't treating it as, as a match that actually took place, which is a bit infuriating. Uh, so I can't get the stats up. But um I seem to remember it being rather more entertaining uh, than Banfield Boca was. Um, it was a bit more open. I guess some of that was because it had less riding on it, right? Especially for, for Belles who are in this year's sort of Americana final already. And even, even if not, you know, Central as the losers are, are going to have uh, chances over the course of 2021, assuming football more or less goes ahead um, to, to qualify for the Sudamericana. It wasn't the be all and end all. Uh, the, the final chance for either of these teams to to get into it, um, but it was you know just a, a, a decent team performance from Belles as far as I can remember, right? Yeah, actually, Belles um, are, to my understanding, I think one of the most informed teams in Argentina, and uh, it's also coinciding with uh, the explosion into life of uh, one Thiago Almada, I think, who has. Just been brilliant uh, for Vélez ever since uh, Mauricio Pellegrino decided to play him um, as an attacking midfielder instead of a winger. Yeah, he's been a bit of a favourite among the, the football manager and the transfer rumours set for probably a year or two now at least, hasn't he? Um, but he's actually coming through and, and has, has got a decent amount of first-team football under his belt since lockdown ended. Um, and he does seem to be really settling into. Well, to, to a main role in the team, he's, he, he looked very sharp, as you say. For Central, it didn't go so well. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get the standings up from the final, from, the, from those two groups. But again, this, this app is not showing them to me. I should have got a website up before we started recording, but we've done all this in quite a rush. Um, I must admit, I didn't see any of this game. I've, like, over the last week, I've been more preoccupied with the Ascenso Adventures of Atlanta, which is quite an uh, 
a pleasant alliterative phrase. How have those been going just while I try to get the standings up, Dan? We are in now to the quarterfinals. This doesn't seem to, this won't end ever by the, by the sounds of it. Um, Atlanta have made it through the Segunda Ascenso, the, the second phase and the third phase, beating San Martín de Tucumán in a cracking 2-2 um, draw followed by a penalty shootout. That was a very, very entertaining match. Uh, they so they got that they won that on penalties and on Thursday they disposed of Ferro two one in another very entertaining match and now they go on to play Estudiantes de Buenos Aires tomorrow tomorrow evening uh, for a place in the semi-finals of this epic uh, playoff competition for a place in Primera and the semis will be I'm guessing. What midweek week, with I the think. final in the final next week, or it's not going to carry on for another two weeks, is it? Yeah, correct. They're doing two games, a, three games a week. Uh, the standings from the fase complementación had Central topping uh, the group ahead of their group ahead of Lanús, Defensa y Justicia, the two Copa Sudamericana finalists. So maybe in fact Central didn't have it quite so easy after all. Um, yeah, but they but played yeah, the reserves were in, through most of their games. So. They did. Yeah, they, they were. They weren't. Putting down, pushing down quite as hard. Um, whereas Belles uh, won four of their five games um, in in their semi-final group and topped it fairly comfortably ahead of of Newell's and also ahead of Racing, of course, who were dreadful in the first round, but um, really picked it up in the second and, and started to actually look like they wanted to be involved in some football. Um, so the Wednesday, we're not going to bother previewing it, but uh, we will fill you in in. Well, when we're back, and we'll, we'll talk about the schedule um, for the next few weeks a little bit later in the podcast. Um, I'm now hoping that we can hand over to Tony to fill us in with some of the detail on what happened uh, on Tuesday evening in the final of the Women's Championship. Now, the as I said at the start, the format to this um, competition was very similar indeed to the Copa Maradona, the, the Copa de la Liga. Um, but unlike that men's competition, this was actually uh, a, a, a league title uh, for the women. So th- this was the first, in fact, professional league title um, handed out in Argentina for women, because, of course, the intended first one got called off by the pandemic last year. Um, so, Tony, you said last week that, that Boca were probably going to win, but you weren't expecting them to win by seven goals. Um, no. <laughs> um, I thought that if there was a big difference in the game, it would be like five goals at, at, at most. Uh, but not seven and not in the way that, that basically happened. Uh, River only had two shots on target, if memory serves. While Boca went on to win from the beginning and scored two quick goals. Uh, second one especially was a really good uh, shot from, from Shamila Rodriguez. To the top corner, I'm, I'm guessing that if you're already feeling a little bit inferior and knowing that the other team has a little, a little bit more experience because uh, Boca had a couple of players that play in the World Cup, for example, and River had none, uh, then you got two goals, you're two goals down in, what, 12 minutes, 15 minutes? I mean, if your spirits are not crushed after that, <laughs> I don't know what will. Yeah, it, it was almost painful watching, really. Um, 
I mean, Rivers seemed to be having real difficulty just getting a foothold in the game. And then those two really quick goals from Boca, um, like a minute and a half apart or something, just completely killed them. I think if Boca's second had taken longer to come, uh, then we might have seen a more interesting uh, game. But as it was, it was just, um, well, <laughs> it, it was that. Um, anyone you were particularly impressed with, Tony? I mean, obviously I'm asking because you're, more aware of exactly who's who and, and which players are which players um, than, than most of the rest of us. Um, I'm obviously um, pleased with, with Valeria Benitez, who was basically lauded as the best player in the, in the tournament. Uh, Troncoso played really well on the, on the right-hand side of the Boca offensive, which basically where every attack started or was gestated was always on the left-hand side of the, of the river defense. Uh, even in, in the halftime, there was a, a change where the right um, le- uh, le- the right back went to play as as a left back since uh, she's um, she can she can play with both sides of uh, of the pitch, uh, trying to minimize that. And River kind of did that because they were a little bit better, but also Boca took the foot off the gas. Um, the first fifteen minutes of the second half was basically playing for nothing. Um, and yeah, I mean, shout out. I, I know that this kind of is um, not as official as any other stat, but this needs to be out there. Uh, the incredible work of, of um, Ojeda as the, as the number nine of Boca. She has more than 400 goals for Boca Juniors. She even retired sometime, uh, and she was asked for the, for the, by the club to come back playing. So having that amount of goals, which is actually more than Martin Palermo's score for Boca, is uh, tremendous. And she, it's part of the team that won the first professional um, league title. So that was, that was impressive and, and a recognition that took a lot of time to, to be there. But finally, it's out there and it's, it's really good. I guess the obvious question is, is how you see not just River, but also the the rest of the league, the traditional, you know, strong players, why Urquiza and so on, um, picking themselves up to challenge Boca in the next championship. But it's it's also, you know, Boca uh, presumably are going to have some rebuilding to do as well, because one thing that we saw when all of the professional contracts started getting handed out like a year and a half ago uh, was that a lot of them were 12-month contracts and then a lot of them were, you know, either extended or... Um, well, or, or, or rescinded uh, when the, the pandemic kicked in and when lockdown happened. Um, so a lot of these these players are only linked to all of their clubs on, on fairly short-term uh, basis. Um, so how much rebuilding a Boca going to have to do and, and how difficult is it for River to bridge this seven-goal gap and for Wajorquiza to get back to where they were? Um I, w- I will try not to beat this super long, but I don't think Boca has to worry too much of uh, a rebuilding because they're going to think about... I mean, most of the good players from Boca, to make it super short, has a clause in their contract so they cannot leave for uh, silly money, for little money, uh, before the Libertadores, which is in almost a month. It's in March. Um so that's like kind of a, a thing that Boca did well to secure some of the players. I know that some of those players have a lot of interest interest from from uh, foreign leagues, and I know they're really willing to pay that that clause. So in that matter, Boca may get some money to uh, keep on 
picking up some some good players, maybe returning from from um, uh, from Europe or from other uh, South American leagues. The rest of the teams will keep on doing the same things that we're doing, which is focusing on the um, on the youth. River is doing that really well, so I think that River may be in the level that Poker is right now in a couple of years. And some teams have really clever uh, coaches like Guayurquiza that even if they got picked up apart, they almost win against River to get to this final, uh, playing really in a really clever way to maximize the uh, struggles the River has. Uh, and then you have teams like Gimnasia uh, de la Plata, who's doing really well, that had, uh, again, a lot of kids that were recruiting from the interior and trying to uh, build a team as good as possible, but also knowing a lot um, the, the, the things they have to, to do well and knowing the, the difficulties of the team so they can make a fight. Racing Club is, is getting there. So I think the next league is going to be a little bit closer. Uh, but I still think the pocket will still dominate because they still have the pool, they still have the money uh, to offer contract to all the players. Um, but I think the league, the league is going to be more even in that sense with some teams trying to get into that uh, typical four teams that are always in the semifinals and finals. And and, uh, sorry, and another thing that's important in this in this regard is that Tapia after the game said that the Copa Federal is going to go ahead, which is interesting because it will be more visibility for those players in the interior since the Primera is basically the teams from Buenos Aires. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, so what's the calendar looking like this year? I can't. I don't think we mentioned this last um last week but we've got you just mentioned the Libertadores in March which I guess most listeners won't know uh, but the women's Libertadores is played just as a very short competition over the space of a couple of like a week or two I think right uh, in in a host um, city uh, so that's happening in March but then what what's it looking like in terms of the the league championship and also when's the Copa Federal which for the benefit of listeners again is going to be effectively the women's Copa Argentina um, when's that kicking off uh, for us, I remember there's no exactly date for the league because, but that that will happen after the Copa Libertadores. Uh, so I'm thinking it's going to be mid-April because the Copa Libertadores will run from uh, 5 of March until 21 of March. And the host will be Deportivo Morón, uh, funny enough. And only Boca and River are the qualified teams for this uh, next edition. And there are some, some teams yet to be um, determined or who are, who are going to participate, but I know they're going to have they're going to have a tough time playing against Corinthians and Hawaii and Santiago Morning. I actually want to see Boca against Santiago Morning because that will be a really good game. Um, but the Argentinian tournaments will probably start in April, mid-April, given that they're going to have a, this uh, time out for. Um, Vacation, except the teams that get on onto the quarterfinals. I know that uh, most of the teams are going to start working in mid uh, February, so I'm guessing that April will be uh, the start of the competitions locally. Thanks, Tony. Um, now onto the Copa Sudamericana, our fourth match of the week. Um, we're still on our tele- well on my television at least. I don't know what the others are watching, um, but I'm still watching Defensa Justicia parade the trophy around the pitch live. Uh, that's how quickly after the match we started recording. Um, 
it was a little bit of a damp squib, really, as a final, because Lanús just didn't turn up. The first half was 1-0 to Defensa. Um, Santi sent a tweet to our WhatsApp group saying that they, they were playing almost perfectly, but it wouldn't surprise him if Lanús nick a late equaliser because they, they were letting so many chances, you know, pass their way. Um, but in the end, they got uh, two. I've just realised I've got rid of the match details from my phone, just as I wanted to check out who the scorers were. Brian Romero um, added the second. Uh, Beautiful. Chip. Just over an hour in with a lovely, yeah, as you say, a lovely dink over the goalkeeper. And then Washington Camacho finished uh, to add, I think, a deserved gloss to the scoreline in stoppage time. Um, Santi, what did you make of it? I've, I've already told people what you thought of it at half time. What did you think of the second half? Yeah, uh, um, well, I think uh, Tony in particular will tell you that it was precise, pre- not exactly the, the the nicest game to watch, and I agree with him. But um, I think from the point of view of the defense, uh, I, I stand by my claim that uh, they just set it up absolutely perfectly, spot on. They were just uh, pressing all around. Uh, they never let Lanús um, get a sniff closer to their box. I think maybe the only chance in the game was like at the 91st minute and just before the uh, defense scored the third. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, defense were really, really, really up for it. Um, they also created um, a lot of chances in the first half, um, even if um, they looked incredibly tired because they were playing uh, at about 40 degrees Celsius uh, under the sun in Cordoba. But uh, yeah, fair play to them. They just build this uh, incredible squad once again of all these rejects from from big teams. And uh, you you take a look at the names in the squad and you, and you start thinking, how the fuck did this guy win a Copa Sudamericana? But you just watch them on the pitch and you you realize these players are really, really good. Crespo has really worked pretty well with them to just uh, squeeze every ounce of talent he could from them. And... Um, yeah, fair play, fair, fair play to everyone around here. I was going to say, Santi, I'm sure you're just as happy for Brian Romero as I am for Washington Camacho. These these guys who had yeah, I mean, such I mean, a great run in uh, Independiente and Racing, uh, respectively, they were fucking awful. But they come through in fair play. Um, yeah, actually, uh, actually, there's there's a slew of Independiente players who are really awful back at Independiente that have now become champions. Yeah, um, Pizzini, another one, right? Yeah, Pizzini, was... who actually is in, got a beautiful back heel in the build-up to the first goal, mm. but was yeah. not very good otherwise today. Um, but also you got uh, Manuel Brites, who was solid, if not spectacular, in, in the loan for Independiente. And then there's Nectar Breitenberg, who was just dreadful. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that, I think that's that's all of them. But it's still a, a lot of names you just wouldn't... Um, wouldn't just uh, write next to champion in your, no, your records, I think. Indeed. Um, no, I have to agree with Santi. Um, generally, I think it was a fantastic performance from Defensive Justicia. And if Lanús didn't play at all, largely it was because they weren't allowed to. Uh, they would just run off the field, basically. And, and that's always going to be you know, a risky strategy, um, a bold strategy, let's say, from Crespo, especially with the conditions in Córdoba as they were. I'm guessing, you know, if it was 35 degrees, um, 
generally the temperature probably down or down at pitch level you're probably talking closer to 40 or or 45 so to go out and just press and run so much from from the very um first whistle is it's hugely hugely impressive but it's also something that can backfire if you don't get the early goal if you start to flag then the other team you know uh, might feel that that they can take advantage and start finding a few holes but but Lanús never could um and the first goal from Adonis Frias I'm in love with that name was was a cracker Lanús were, were caught out in the second with a pretty terrible defensive error sorry um someone's just waking up from his nap and he's not very happy at all um, I thought he was a Lanús supporter you know. no perished the foot. Oh, okay perished the foot um so absolutely, you know, more than deserved for Defensa Justicia, more than deserved for Crespo, who, you know, took over this team at the start of the year. And and I think he's done a fantastic job over the last 12 months with all the difficulties of of coronavirus, of, you know, losing so many players. I think I read the other day that, um, you know, midway through 2020, Lanús uh, released nine players and brought in 11 new players, something like that. So they pretty much had to start scratch you know not just talking about the team the lovely team they had back in 2019 which got them uh, qualification to this year's Libertadores and Ergo the Sudamericana but from the team yeah, they had in the first half of the year until the very 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 end as well yeah I mean if you look at the team they had in 2019 what they had Unzain has stayed and, and that's about it right uh, I can't see many other names yeah, I remember. Also like, uh, I think the only yeah, Unzain might be the only one. I think the entire eleven. Uh, yeah. Left. Was Jose San not there in 2019? No, he came back at the start talk, of 2020. I'm talking about Defensa Justicia. I'm oh, sorry, of course. Yeah, I'm getting confused about who Unzain's playing for these days. Yeah. No, but a lot. You know. Um, now you mention it. Uh, it's very much a, a similar situation for Lanús. You look at their team, and and they've got rid of so many. Uh, you know, more experienced players and just really turn to the kids. Uh, I think today they they missed Lautaro Acosta, um, who was another, you know, alongside Sand, one of, one of the really experienced, really seasoned guys on this team that perhaps could have, uh, could have um, had an influence, but, you know, it ended badly for him. But I think there's a lot of promise still in this Lanús team. The question is, how long can they can they keep it together? Because you've got guys like De La Vega, who's who's going to be very closely linked with a move away now. Balmonte, you can see as well. Orsini, Sand has to retire at some point, you would think. Um, so, can they build on this, or are they just going to get dismantled again? That's that's a big question for Lanús, and also, of course, Defensa Justicia. Don't mention out loud the possibility of Sand retiring because he's a few weeks away. If he scores in a few weeks' time when the league begins, he'll be the oldest goal scorer in the history of the top flight because, of okay. course, that's something that he didn't get uh, in the last few months because it was the, the Copa Maradona was a cup, not a league. Um, so we do want him to hang in just for a little bit longer. Uh, and also a word to, uh, as you mentioned, for Adonis Frias the scorer of Lanús' first goal is a defender. Um, and the commentators were actually talking a few minutes before he scored about how he leads the Sudamericana this year for tackles made, oh. uh, but had oh, never scored go. a goal in his career before. So that's a hell of a time to break your duck. Yeah, not a bad time to do it. No. And as you say, he's got a fantastic name. Can I, well. I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but now that you mention it, 
isn't the next season another Copa Diego Maradona? Is it still going to be considered the league? Well, yeah, they're calling it the Copa Diego Maradona again, as uh, listeners will just be finding out, but as we were talking about uh, a few um, minutes ago. But yeah, I think it's a, it's going to be a league title, just, just with the same name as the non-league title that's just been played, which is not at all confusing, is it? If you're trying to, you know, we, we mock the AFA and, and the new Liga Profesional de Football for wanting to protect the brand uh, through things that far stronger branded leagues are perfectly happy to allow to happen, such as, you know, not letting River play in their um, at their training ground when La Liga are quite happy to allow Real Madrid to play at the Estadio Di Stefano. Um, Which is a stadium they, and not a training pitch. In, yeah, say. I mean, true, true. But, yeah. you know, um, but it's, it's not, you know, the better than bail. And, um, and yet we've got, yeah, this situation now where they're naming the next league title after exactly, not just, you know, Trofeo Diego Maradona or something like they've done in the past with league titles after somebody's died, I could understand. But calling it the Copa as well, even though it's going to be a league, um, is is ridiculous. Um, um, anyway. Sam, can, can I just oh, say quickly that it shows something that was said many, many times in the history of Final Pod, but I want to highlight the work of Defensive Justicia as, as a club. I want to highlight the work of Lenos as a club. Um, coming from uh, a supporter of team, a team that technically has more tradition in Argentine football, kinda, uh, mostly because there is like a, a bigger rivalry between them. I'm talking about the the Dachete Belgrano um, rivalries, the Union rivalries, obviously. Um, even at some point, Rosario Central News, because I saw a lot of tweets about and, and people talking about for example that Union hosted the the final of the um, of the promotion from the Nacional B and that they were using a, a stadium from the Nacional B and that kind of pitchy rivalry like not really focusing on what's important which is what, what Lanús and Defensive Justicia are doing mm-hmm. um, it, it, it comes a time that you have to think okay we have to move on from like this pitch rivalries that we're doing just because it's banter and, and think what these clubs are doing well and what can we do to imitate them from the perspective of those clubs that are technically more traditionally or, or more traditional in the region in the interior and, and, and to think how to imitate them so we can be in the next couple of years in in that uh, celebrating that title, actually. Indeed. So yeah, I think thanks. I want to highlight that, yeah. Thanks for that, Tony. Yeah, and it also Absolutely. kind of, it leads on quite nicely to a discussion that we'll be having in a couple of weeks' time, and, and I don't want to get into it now because we want to keep this episode short and snappy, um, but about how two clubs not very far at all away from Lanús and Defensa y Justicia, both of whom are based in or near Avellaneda, um, might do well to, to take a leaf out of their book. And in fact, we have supporters of those two clubs recording right here with us at the moment, um, which is why I wanted to make the point before starting to say that, that we're not going to talk about it right now. But in a couple of weeks' time, I suspect we are going to be talking about how some bigger clubs perhaps could be planning for the future a bit better. Um, we will now move on without any interim music, because we're whipping through these quite quickly, to our listeners' questions. The first one is one that Birdie sent in uh, just a few minutes too late for last week's episode. Um, but I think it's relevant, given what's just happened and you know what, what, what the match we've just seen may or may not influence some people's answer. 
hopefully a moot point, he says, but who would you say is first in line if Gachardo decides to pack his bags? Um, and I mean, I, I think Anand Crespo's in with a shout, isn't he? Crespo, surely, yeah. Um, either Crespo or perhaps Germán Burgos. You know, he brings all the experience he had for working under Simeone from the title. I find it difficult to look beyond those two chaps. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. And, and he's worked well with, with Enzo Fernandes, of course, in the defence of Justicia midfield, who is a River Mid. player and is presumably going to be going back to River quite soon. Um, so, yeah, we will see what the latest on Gacharano is exactly. I'm not sure. I think the, the way he was being talked about uh, in passing at times in the commentary for this match, I get the impression he's probably going to be staying until the end of the year, but we'll see. Um Lawrence Hart says, will there be a pod this week? I won't count this towards the four new questions of the week. Uh, yes, there will, Lawrence. We're recording it at the moment. Um, and now, yeah, this perfect. Is exactly, this is exactly the meme that I shared. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Question being one of the questions. And now, perfect Tommy says, does Crespo stay at Defensa y Justicia? Estudiantes in English says, I was going to ask the same. Um, what do we think? I think so. I think, um, I mean, if there is a reason why... He held on until just deciding his future at him, whether he would join or not Independiente. I think uh, one of the main uh, reasons why he might stay is the fact that uh, Defensa were confirmed to play Copa Libertadores football after Boca won the, the Copa Maradona. So that's a rather big, I think, uh, motivation to stay and try to have a second chance at the Libertadores now that he he uh, went out on the group stage, and which is why he won the Sudamericana now. But um, yeah, something that Independiente could not offer Crespo back when he was he was touted for the job. But uh, yeah, I think there will be a big motivation for him. Yeah. Uh, Carl Carpenter says, who are the next managers in Argentina to make the step up in terms of prestige? So Crespo's going to get mentioned again, obviously. Um, I would also say Javier Sanguinetti has to be another kind of a no-brainer, having just led Banfield to, to second place in the Copa Maradona. But we, you know, we mentioned him last week as probably the manager of the Copa. Um, any, other, any other names that anyone can think of? Uh, so Beldia has been there or thereabouts for a while. I don't think this... This final appearance will do him do him any harm, you know. After he's he's been around for a while, I don't think he's ever quite got the record, you know, the recognition he perhaps deserves. But he's he's done some very good work wherever he's been with um, with young guys and plays fairly decent football. So he he would be one to watch, I think. Um, and who else? I think it's a change. Coaches so quickly, it's hard to uh, hard to keep track. Mm. Uh, no doubt, we'll have some more names for you quite soon. Um, Shane Hurley says, "How young do Argentine sides take players into their academies? In Europe, we see some sides taking players in at six, or do some clubs still allow players to develop locally and have a little education as a street footballer?" I mean, I mean, street football is a bit of a cliche. The the first step is generally a baby football which is, you know, futsal, five-a-side, reduced spaces. Um, a lot of kids start that, you know, three, four years old. And uh, from what I see, kind of, uh, you know, every now and then, 
kind of notices for trials and and whatnot cross my attention and they seem to generally begin uh, at eight, nine and ten years for for professional clubs. So I'd say that from eight years or eight years onwards, I'd say, uh, with possibly a few exceptions if a very young kid does get spotted kind of in, in his local club. Yeah, a lot of them have kind of informal feeder systems with the the kids teams in their areas and stuff as well yeah. don't they um so without taking them under the club's wing as such they'll already be on the radar from from a much earlier age but eight nine ten is when they tend to actually yeah. come into the institution um and trevor roycroft is the fourth and therefore last question that we're going to be answering this week he says i've only fairly recently started watching football in argentina and was hoping to see some more influential number 10 slash enganches in the new season who should I be looking out for? Um, I mean, if you really want to see a classic enganche, um, then <laughs> there, there, yeah, there, there aren't going to be very many these days because they're kind of, uh, I don't want to say an extinct breed, but certainly few and far Dying. between. You know, Argentine football is slowly modernising. Um, sadly, yeah, go on. Is that, um, I mean, it's a very static player. I mean, we're not, I'm not going to lie, he's a pretty static player who just sees the game move around him and he picks the passes and uh, just tries to dictate play from stillness. And uh, you will not find a lot of that and, unless you count, you know, the likes of El Pulga Rodriguez. But if you want to move away from the, the, the stricter uh, meaning of the, the enganche, I think, uh, well, as an attacking midfielder, one of them that is much more mobile and much more participative in in build-up as well, and can also chip in with a couple of goals. I think Diego Almada would be a, a very good player to just look out, and I think he he will stay with Vera to play Copa Libertadores as well. So, well done on picking out a name for that one, Santi. Um, and I'm going to break the rule that I imposed because we have only got one question, uh, one more question. And it's from the six-yard line, who says, following the Copa Sudamericana final, where will Brian Romero be in the next campaign after his recent goal-scoring exploits? He is the top goal-scorer of the Sudamericana that's just finished with 10 goals. Um, given defensive where? DCS model over the last few years, you would think it might not be there. But then, if they're in the Libertadores, well, maybe it will be. Actually, Wherever Bragarnik's is fit, I think, is the, no. the short answer to that. Yeah. Um, actually, Dan, uh, as far as I know... Um, the Brian Romero will still be on. He still has a, a, non -lo a loan contract with the Defensa until next year, until oh. uh, January 2022. And his buyout option is uh, just uh, depressingly low million dollars. They won't but, pay that, though. That's not part of their model, is it? I mean, it's not their model, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they just take a look at his ridiculous form and just say, I mean, it's now or never. Mm. And he, I, can't, I can't see it happening for an almost 30-year-old striker. I'm sorry. I think um, he's going to remain in that vacuum. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, okay. I'd be uh, inclined don't, to don't agree do with that. Don't do that because you're giving me hope. Don't do that. <laughs> you're not getting any money for him. Just leave it. Leave it. <laughs> uh, not, not just money. Even if he returns, we're not getting him... In this form, I mean, he's going <laughs> to fall again at Independiente, isn't he? Anyway, on that note, um, it's time, I think, to bring a close to this uh, short and sweet episode 
of Hand of Pod. Um, and also, as I promised earlier, to give you a quick update on what we're planning over the next couple of weeks. Basically, we're planning to take a break over the next couple of weeks um, because apart from the lower divisions, which are incredibly confusing, um, there's not much happening, obviously, given the fact that uh, neither River nor Boca reached the Libertadores final. Um, so we will be coming back in uh, the week commencing on Monday. I'm just waiting for my computer to show me the calendar. The week commencing Monday, the 8th of February, we will record an episode which in which we'll preview the upcoming league title, which is going to look in format very similar indeed to the cup that just finished. Um, but until then, you won't be hearing from us. Uh, thank you very much indeed, of course, as usual, to all of our Patreon supporters. If you want to get involved there and hear some extra uh, stuff from us, then you can go over to patreon.com slash hand of pod, all one word. Um, we're going to record a very quick hand of pod extra for them now. But for now, it's thanks and goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. From Santi. Bye, guys. See from you Tony. in a while. Goodbye, thank you. And from me, thank you and goodbye.